Hey there, this is Steve Lee with Veritas Catholic Network. Today on Let Me Be Frank, it's Christmas. Oh, Bishop Frank has a lot to tell us. Reflections on Christmas and stories about growing up in the Caggiano House in Brooklyn. Sneak preview, there's no Red Rider Carbine Action 200 shot range model air rifle involved. Okay, before we get started, did you know that you could take Veritas Catholic Network with you wherever you go? Yep. You can have Veritas on your phone to listen to our live broadcast, grab podcasts of Let Me Be Frank and Restless and more. It's with you wherever you go. Just download the Veritas Catholic Network app. It's at the Apple App Store, the Google Play Store, or you can visit www.veritascatholic.com. All right, welcome back to Let Me Be Frank, everybody. It is my great pleasure, as always, to introduce Bishop Frank Caggiano. Steve, this is our last show before Christmas. Uh, huh? Yes, yeah, Christmas is in just a couple days. Uh, it's yep. hard to believe we're already there. It's, it's extraordinarily hard to believe. What a year we have had. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> oh, jeez. Yeah, but, uh, but I'm glad. I'm glad that, uh, you know... Nothing is changing um, in terms of uh, logistics for my family. We've been in, you know, in our house all this time anyway. But um, but it's going to be different, and uh, we're really looking forward to it. At least the Lees are. Oh yeah, and I am too, and my family is too. It's just, and it's after everything we've gone through. Please God, things will be safe and healthy. But just to be able to unplug a bit and relax and enjoy the holy days, yeah, it's a great blessing. Yeah. And we'll have some fun today in the second segment, listening to stories of Christmas with the Caggianos. So, oh um, my I, gosh, wait till you see the movie. Never mind the stories. <laughs> you know, before we get there, though, I did want to ask you a couple things, uh, Excellency. Mm-hmm. Um, to get me into trouble? You're trying to get me into trouble, I see. I, I, always, I always like to try to push the envelope a little bit with you. <laughs> good, you know, good, good. Uh, so, Christmas. And um, mm-hmm. the the Vatican has put out their nativity scene, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's it's raised a lot of eyebrows, uh, mm-hmm. to say the least. That's to say the least. <laughs> yes. So you ask me what my opinion is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I must say this. I would put it this way: it is certainly not my cup of tea. Because the truth is, I, from, what I can, from what I understand, it's actually a design made by high school students. And it is, uh, it, it's not recent. It, it dates back for a while. Right. And therefore, I commend the notion of trying to involve young people in this tradition. And I'm sure for the young people who designed it, um, it's tremendous source of, source of pride to see that in the, the heart of the Vatican, this nativity is theirs. It's, so it's kind of it's theirs. And that, that I do applaud, makes perfect sense. However, um, the fact that it's a controversy means we've missed the mark in some way. Because the crush really should be an opportunity to gather us all together and focus our attention on who it is that is coming in our midst. And I'm always, if I always have a bias, my bias is that we want our expression of faith always to be beautiful, indisputably 
beautiful so that it inspires and touches the heart. Now, you know, that nativity scene could, in the eyes of some, be quite beautiful. And you don't dispute that because, you know, to each their own. I myself personally do not find it as inspiring as some of the past ones, which were much more realistic, right? So that the realism, when it's depicted that way, allows me to enter into the mystery much more than having to figure out, if you know what I mean, that additional step. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so that, that's my thought. It's certainly not my cup of tea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, and I'm yours? You. What's your thought? <laughs> oh, are you with <laughs> I, I think it's... Uh, I, I hate to say this about any nativity scene, but um, I think it's pretty horrendous. <laughs> yeah, I just think it's, it's if, if you have to really struggle with it, I'm not sure it's achieving the purpose of what Francis uh, wanted when he, he invented the crush. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. And, and uh, you know, I guess... Maybe this Holy Father wants us to try and see things through new perspectives, maybe. Um, and so, you know, not everything is going to land on the mark. Yeah, absolutely. And and to be honest, I'm not even sure what the vetting process is. It could very well be the Holy Father had absolutely no say in it. Right. I really do not know, right? Yeah. Nobody asks me what crush <laughs> we're putting out in the Catholic Center. I mean, they just put it out. So I really do not know. But okay. uh, but I uh, but I do think it's you know it's it's unfortunately because it's controversial it's just another distraction. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. You know, mm-hmm. on a on a kind of a cool note, um, Pope mm-hmm. Francis is going to visit Iraq in March, and mm-hmm. then they announced that he might visit Kazakhstan. So, mm-hmm. um, I guess what what do we what do we make of of uh, his his and any pope's travels, mm-hmm. especially to parts of the world like that? Well, I, I think, well, first of all, it's courageous, yeah. considering that the COVID epidemic will certainly not be in check, particularly in those countries, by March. It's a gesture of goodwill um, to all people of all faiths. But quite frankly, in this case, particularly in Iraq, it, I think there is a specific and very noble purpose, which is to give encouragement and support to the Christians who are left in Iraq. And they have struggled mightily since the Iraqi war. Because if you recall, when the United States invaded Iraq and Saddam Hussein was the leader, was the dictator of the country, uh, he was awful in so many different ways. But what's interesting is he allowed safe haven for minority religions, including Christians. So there were some estimates that there were a million Christians in Iraq under Saddam Hussein's uh, control. Yes. There's a fraction of that left because after the war and of all the, the, the warring, Christians have been persecuted actively and um horrendously in a lot of the Middle East, particularly in Iraq. So those who have stayed have lived a very difficult life. 
And unfortunately, most of the world has turned a blind eye to it, has seen nothing, has said nothing, has done nothing, right? To assure the Christians uh, a, a religious freedom and just an ability to live their life unmolested. So the Pope going there is tremendous for both the Catholic Church and the Orthodox Church to be able to say, someone does see it, someone is here to be of help to the extent that we can be of help, but just to raise the question in the consciousness of the world. Because the coverage will be tremendous, precisely because it's Iraq, it's in yeah. wartime, and this COVID. Yeah. Right? Kazakhstan, I, I would think, I, I do not know the, the um, statistics of the country. My guess is that it would be an overwhelmingly Muslim country. But nonetheless, it builds the national, it builds the rapport we need to get beyond a lot of the conflict we're seeing in the world. So I applaud the Pope for doing this. I think it's very courageous. I just hope that he's safe. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I didn't think about it until, you know, you just said it, Excellency, but, you know, to go into such a, a hostile um, country, it's almost reminiscent, or it could be, or you could look back at, um, John Paul II going into Poland early in his pontificate. Interesting analogy. It's, a, it, it's different, but yet there's the similarity. And that is you go to stand in solidarity with the Catholics and Christians who are there yeah. against that which opposes them. So in Poland, it was the communist regime. And here it's just the, the awful political environment that exists. You know, just to draw a parallel, when President Obama... And when President Trump went to Iraq, right, the security that was mounted was enormous. Yeah. Right? In fact, I, if I'm not mistaken, I think President Obama, maybe it was Obama, uh, went under the cover of night and um, there was radio silence at Air Force One for a bit of time until he actually landed. Because again, surface to air missiles, mm -hmm. you know, they have the technology to avoid that stuff. I'm sure the Pope's plane won't have that. And yet I sincerely doubt he's going to fly into Iraq under the cover of dark with radio silence. Right. Yeah. It'll be on everyone's schedule. Yeah. Yeah. So, so there is a, a level of making himself vulnerable to do this, yep. which is very admirable. It's very inspiring. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, I also saw just uh, shifting gears a little bit. Um, and I thought this was such cool news, but, um, Notre Dame's Cathedral Choir in mm -hmm. Paris, they mm -hmm. said they're going to return to the damaged cathedral on Christmas Eve and perform a live concert that's going to be broadcast. Right, for the country, which is tremendous. Again, a sign of hope, right? A yeah. sign of life. Right? But, um, so Notre Dame has an 8,000 pipe organ. It is one of the largest in the world. Wow. It's one of the most sophisticated in the world. It will not be used for this. Because okay. it's being repaired, because I think of the smoke that was there, right? So they're going to bring in a small little organ, my understanding, to be able to do this. And it is a sign that out of the ashes comes hope, out of the darkness comes light. And that second image is so powerfully associated with Christmas. Yeah. Right? And... You know, to remind myself, yourself, and everyone who's listening, when the fire occurred, 200 tons of metal melted in the scaffolding that was above Notre Dame. Wow. And 
it is truly a milestone that all of that was, has been taken down successfully without compromising the rest of the structure. Otherwise, this choir could not sing. Yeah. So there really is cause for rejoicing that the rebirthing of the cathedral is now beginning, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, on, uh, on a more local uh, note, you know, because I, I, talking to um, priests and, and friends over the past, well, during the, you know, pandemic, people, a lot of my people that I was talking to were talking about how they were afraid that Catholics weren't going to come back to mass once uh, the churches mm-hmm. opened up and you know the hopeful signs that you've been talking about and my hometown parish by the way mm-hmm. had such high demand for the christmas masses they have they have 10 christmas masses here in our town that filled up in under 20 minutes right i mean right. what a sign <laughs> right absolutely absolutely it is. It's a tremendous sign. And you know what? As I've said many times when we've chatted, so let's use the opportunity to train some people who will go out and by phone, by video, by person, invite everyone back one by one and yeah. sit and listen to their stories. This is an opportunity for us to grow the church, not worry about diminishing the church, to grow the church and to heal a lot of the hurt that's out there. So more to come in January. We'll have a whole podcast to talk about that. Yes. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. Lots going on. Yes. So uh, so since since we have Christmas Eve tomorrow, uh, Christmas mm-hmm. Day, the day after that, mm-hmm. obviously, you know, and I didn't realize because I only go to one mass every year to to celebrate Which Christmas is midnight. Well, midnight mass. I haven't been to midnight mass in a while, only because I can't stay up that late anymore. <laughs> oh, good. Problem. So I'm not the only one, right? <laughs> but well, I didn't realize that there are different gospel readings for each mass, for the yes. vigil and midnight and the yes. Christmas day. Yes. Can you? You don't have to talk about all three, but can you just give us uh, your reflections for this Christmas? And um... Um, well, I mean, it's interesting. So you have the traditional story of Christmas. Uh, the birth of the Lord in the manger in Bethlehem, which itself is magnificent, it's beautiful. You have the the gospel of the shepherds, mm-hmm. hearing the good news of the angels. Um, and then you have, if I'm not mistaken, you have the prologue of St. John's gospel. In the beginning was the word. Yes. Of the three, of course, the easiest to preach on is the traditional story. All right, the traditional, the, 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 the story of the actual birth, because it's so rich. It's like, a, um, it's like mining gold. There's so many ways you could go and so many, um, you could preach, really, it, it's, it's multivalent. And therefore, um, so in the end, the image that always comes back to my mind when I reflect on Christmas is light in darkness. Part of it is because, you know, I love astronomy and therefore we've passed the winter solstice. So now the days are beginning to grow longer again. So there's a natural resonance to that. But quite frankly, 
if you consider the fact that there is this uh, husband and wife who are in basically poor circumstances, surrounding themselves with animals, literally in the outskirts of a city that is not their own, as they've traveled for days, and they gave birth to the son, Mary gives birth to the Son of God and Savior and Redeemer. Now, honestly, if you were God, would you have picked those circumstances to come into the world? Yeah. Right? It's... <laughs> right? So that's so so the whole circumstance is is almost a depiction of all that we would say in the human condition is darkness, is challenge, it's it's um, it's the, it's the place where human life is under duress. I mean, just figure how dirty the manger was. My goodness gracious, the smell of it. Mm. When you're giving birth to a child, you think the animals cared that they wanted to clean up after themselves before they showed up? Right? Did they have a lantern? Did they have a single lantern? Where did they get light? Where did they eat? Where's the food? Where's the water? Even if you brought food, what happened about the water? What's the water to cleanse the child? I mean, we're, you could just keep going on and on and on. I mean, and yet that's where the light came. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the light of the world. He comes there. And how absolutely phenomenally encouraging it is. This year, having gone through everything we've gone through, so much challenge, so much sickness, so much suffering, so much darkness. To remember the light is here. He was always there. We remember him again. See, 2020 was one big stable. Okay, one huge manger that we were all told to get in. And he comes. He comes. I mean... That's, that's your homily, right? Mm. Just allowing people to realize, looking back, Christmas was being celebrated every day of the pandemic because he was there. For the shepherds, the real point there, I think, is they were the lowest of the low. They were the lowest of the low, all right? That's why they were shepherds. They were illiterate, they were poor, and they didn't live in the city, okay? So we, we joke about smelling like the sheep, but they actually did smell like their sheep, and it was not pleasant. You would not have invited them for afternoon tea. And what are they? They're the first messengers. They're the first messengers. Not the, the, the prophets, not the priests, not the Sadducees, not... Now, what message is the Lord telling us there? Right? Don't be surprised who I choose. And don't be surprised when the message of salvation comes to you in the places you least expect, on the lips of those you would, the last person you think would be the messenger of the good news of Jesus Christ. It doesn't always come neat and clean. It always doesn't come in a pulpit with nice, beautiful, elegant words. It comes when you least expect it because God's love is recklessly surprising in life. And then the prologue is just quite a remarkable revelation. Um, and 
the, the image of God pitching his tent, literally from the Greek, pitching his tent, means that he moves with us. He didn't build a palace like Herod. He built a tent. He came to a tent. He pitched a tent because where we go, he goes. So there's right there, you have eight homilies. You could, you could take it any way you want for Christmas. And boom, I said, I said, just give us your Christmas. You talked about all three gospels. That was, <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> you know, uh, Excellency, I just, um, at Christmas time. So there's this great image that I heard once in a reflection. So you start off, you picture the, um, the allies landing at Normandy in June, 1944. And mm -hmm. the reflections asked, why were they there? Why did the Allies land there? It wasn't for the French wine or for the culture. The Allies landed at Normandy to fight against a foreign force that had invaded and oppressed mm -hmm. and put the people mm -hmm. basically into slavery. And then the next part of the reflection is, they say, then picture the cute little newborn infant baby Jesus in the manger. And why was mm -hmm. he there? Just to teach us how to love or to tell some stories? or maybe perform a couple miracles. And he says, no, Jesus was in that manger as a baby to fight against a foreign force that had invaded and oppressed and right. put us into slavery. Right. You, you don't, right. I, I never thought of the baby Jesus mm -hmm. as there to fight, you know? Uh, C.S. Lewis says he crosses enemy lines. Yes. Remember? We've yes. Talked, we talked about it a long time ago. Yes. Absolutely. Because there's a new Caesar, the divine Caesar, who will eventually topple all the Caesars, right? Uh, you know, what's interesting though, you mentioned Normandy. Um, what's remarkable about Normandy is that if you recall, when the British forces were caught in France, when Winston Churchill began his power as prime minister, his, his term, and I believe it was in Dunkirk, right? Mm. And it was the flotilla that allowed most of them to escape. Don't you think it's remarkable that they went back again? <sighs> they went back to the same country. Yeah. Chances are some of the same people because the cause was noble, yeah. because the cause was moral. So what's the, so what's the message in Christmas? God could have, I presume, since God could do what he wills, saved us in another way, but he didn't because he entered into creation to stand with us in solidarity, to save us, like you said, from within our own ranks, to be the captain of the army that leads the army forward, not from the Pentagon, but in the trenches, Right? So, uh, manger, tent, your image, which is a beautiful one, of beginning this battle with us in the trenches is, is all about correcting the misconception that God is up there somewhere and our purpose in human life is to get out of this life worthy enough to be with him when we will be with him in glory forgetting the seminal Christian insight is that God is here with us right now. Yeah. Right now. These are the seeds of the kingdom. 
when you reconcile, when you forgive, when you're kind, when you're merciful, when you're just, when you're prudent, when you're temperate, when you go forth and preach the truth courageously, God is there with you. So, so uh, that's the Christmas message. Amen. Yeah. Let's take a break, Excellency, and have some fun Christmas with the Kajianos when we come back. Great. Catholic Radio works, and now we have it here in Connecticut and New York. It's been seen around the country that there's no better tool for evangelization. Where there's Catholic Radio, the folks who listen deepen their faith. Families are strengthened, parishes and communities flourish. So, let people know you're listening to Veritas, tell your friends to tune in, and let's make an impact here for Jesus and His Church. This is Steve Lee for Veritas Catholic Network. Welcome back to Let Me Be Frank, featuring Bishop Frank Caggiano. Um, okay, it's time for a salvo, Steve, it's time for a salvo. Okay. Okay? We gotta earn our name, to be frank. Um, in that break, we were chatting a bit. Yes. And I think our, our listeners have to ponder the same question. You made the great observation that it was civilians in that, in, in that uh, Operation Dynamo, if I remember it was called, right? It was civilians that went and evacuated successfully uh, the vast majority of the British troops that were, that were trapped, right? Yes. In France. So this is the question. If we had to do it in 2021, would you get the same reaction? Would you get the same heroism? Would you get the same courageous sticking out your neck when you know that the German fighter pilots were right above you and any moment they could blow you to smithereens, even with the cloud cover? I mean, I don't know the answer to that question, but it's a question we need to ask ourselves. Every generation needs to ask itself. It's, it's taking the, the, the moral temperature of the society in which we live. Because hmm? Christmas challenges us to go where no one, cha Christmas challenges us to go where no one else is brave enough to go. Now, let's talk about Christmas. All right. What do you want to know? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, so, you know, the listeners I've heard over and over again, they love hearing the stories uh, from your home in Brooklyn. So mm -hmm. just kind of start to paint the picture of Christmas growing up in the Caggiano house. Okay, so now Christmas um, had to do, first and foremost, with food. I would love to tell you it was Midnight Mass, but really it was food. <laughs> it was preparing it and, of course, eating it, but it was preparing it. Uh, and, uh, and of course, mom was the, the master chef in the whole thing. But there were some Christmas delicacies that we had all the time. And mom would do is she would take um, the first three or four days prior to Christmas Eve. So let's say starting on the 20th or 21st. And every day there was another one of these Christmas delights that she would make. So, for example, she would make what she used to call calzone. And calzone were, and all, 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 from, all from scratch. There was, this is all from scratch, okay? Yeah, of course. They are, imagine a ravioli that is about one and a half, two times the typical size of a ravioli. 
that is filled with chocolate and chestnuts, right? F- fried. Oh my. With powdered sugar. And when they come out and they're warm, you would give your left arm to have three or four of those. Wow. Right? And so that was one. And then I was, what was I in charge of? I was in charge of breaking up the chestnuts, right? Because they were, uh, they were uh, boiled. So I had to be the one, I mashed them. I was in charge of the chocolate because I had a decent amount of it before it even got into the, <laughs> into the mix. And then I, um, when I grew older, not, not when I was young, when I grew older, like when I was in my high school years, I was the fryer, believe it or not. Because hmm. I love it. I love to do that sort of stuff. All right, so that's one. Then we went, moved on to le pizze that are what well, we would now call sweet pies. So rogota, grain, liqueur in it. Mm. Um, and basically they, 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 the crust was made also from scratch and it had a rich texture. It was fairly sweet, not super sweet. It went with breakfast, lunch, and dinner. You could even have it for breakfast with your coffee. And she made some with and some without grain, and grain gave it a more hearty taste to it. So that was number two. But she would make, you know, eight of them. Wow. Right. There were four of us in the house. <laughs> okay. So each one is about 14 inches wide. Eight of them. Wow. Right. Because, <laughs> because again, one of the beautiful traditions is when my aunts and uncles would come or they would send my cousins to give Christmas greetings, they would bring things they baked. And my mother would send a half of that pie or an entire pie back. So it was almost an exchange of food. And even though they all grew up in the same place, there were different twists on how things were done that I guess evolved over time. And then she made the struffoli, which were my favorites. We used to call them the bullets. But you see them in Italian pastries now. It's with sweet dough that are deep fried and they are fixed with honey and confetti, you know. And honestly, Steve, honestly, you eat one, you eat 50. Because you just sit there. It's like eating M&Ms. Who eats a single M&M? Maybe somebody does. I don't. Who does that? So the same thing here. And so that was like the 23rd. Because their mom used to shift to start preparing the fish for Christmas Eve. And um, my father hated fish. Yeah, my father, Christmas Eve was a penance. The, the, because he was not, he did not like fish. And it's seven one fishes, fish, right, for Italian families? Yeah, yes, okay. it could be seven, it could be 13, it could be, you know, depending on the... No, we used to, I'm not sure we always got up to seven, to be honest, because I don't... Um, it's a lot of different have. kinds of fish. Oh, yeah. And I mean, and I, I'm not a particularly a big fish eater either, to be honest. I, but I've told you many times, I like bacala, codfish, fried codfish. It's like fish and chips in, in, mm-hmm. in, uh, in uh, the United Kingdom. And she would, you know, put it in the bathtub, huge piece of it, totally salted. It had to be unsalted. She had to, you know, um, uh, soak it for a day or two. So she scrubbed the bathroom so you could literally eat out of it. <laughs> right. And that's where you started. So you had this thing. It's like, it was the weirdest thing. This half-dead fish kind of floating in the bathtub, you know, <laughs> but... 
But once she got the major salt out, then she cut it in pieces and then she did it in pots because you really couldn't eat it unless you desalted it. You couldn't because it would, it would, it would be an instant heart attack. I mean, you couldn't even, you couldn't even <laughs> swallow it. But once you did, once you did, and you know what I've discovered? Um, in the supermarket, in the freezer section, in the fish section, there is breaded cod, breaded bakala, little strips. You know, when I come back from confirmation, at least twice a week, that is what I eat. Ah. It's 25 minutes in the oven, 425 degrees. Three, four of those is my dinner with a salad. That's like heaven to me. <laughs> Nothing like mama's though, right? I mean. No, 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 of course not. No, but listen, it's better than starving. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. So it was all about food. Oh, then she would make rose, le rose. So the same dough that made the struffoli, which is what they're called. We used to call them favuche, the struffoli, the little bullets. You would make roses, which meant same dough. She would make long strips. And then she would twirl it so that it looked like a flower. And then they had to be fried. Again, that was my job when I was in high school. And I was an excellent fryer. I love to paint. I love to put up wallpaper. And I love to do frying like that. Huh. To anybody's interest. I'm not available, <laughs> but nonetheless. <laughs> and they came out golden brown. So then why they were great is because when you put the honey on it, it formed pockets. Mm. So the honey gelled. It congealed in certain places. So it was dripping with honey. So I'm getting hungry now. Now I'm, like, I'm getting palpitations, actually. <laughs> it was... And she would make... She didn't make five or six. She made 35, 40 of them. Because they lasted all the way to Epiphany, right? To January 6th. Or in the calendar now, it's the Sunday after, which, quite frankly, I prefer January 6th, but nobody asked me. So, so, so the <clears throat> consistency of those, were they, were they crispy? Yes. Ooh, yes. Wow. They crunched in your mouth. Then you crunch, and then you get the sweetness, and then the honey would explode in your mouth. Oh. And then there was a crunch with the little confetti on top, and you would just sit there saying, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for this, right? Yeah. You know, so every, every, time, um, every time you talk about your mom's food, not only do I get hungry, but I often get texts from Frank Marchetti with pictures of his family doing the same stuff that you talked about. Oh, oh, what I, oh I'm sure so, Maria does it. Oh, what I doubt. But, <laughs> I, you know... I hope I get the texts at, for this episode, but I'd like, I'd like some samples. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, well, that's a little self-serving. <laughs> <laughs> well, it'll be but for you know you, both of us. <laughs> All right. But you know what, Steve? This is the real insight here. Yeah. You mentioned about Christmas. I mean, the food was delicious. Absolutely. Of course yeah. it was. But it was doing it together. Hmm. It was doing it as a family. It was looking forward to the time spent together. It was holding on to the tradition that was as meaningful as the eating of it. In fact, in my older years, I, I wasn't as much interested in eating it because, you know, you do have to watch what you eat. At some point, and you got to wise up, right? <laughs> but it, I would still look forward to making them and giving them away. 
And I, I challenge our listeners, as I have to challenge my own family, which we're having this big debate is, um, to the extent that you have these sort of traditions, please don't let them die. Don't let the excuse of modern life say we're too busy. No, you're not. Yeah. You always find the time to, to do the things that you love or the things that are important. Because there are other generations who should remember and be linked to the past. Right? Before it's too late and the recipes are lost and the traditions are broken. And then what is Christmas then and the holy days and even the civic holidays? Like we, I chatted with you with 4th of July. My father, that barbecue was like Thanksgiving meal. It was sacrosanct. Mm-hmm. We weren't at the barbecue. He was expecting to pick up the body dead because if you were not there, you would be dead. <laughs> right? But, but, but it's the tradition. So I think that's part of the memories that I have of Christmas. Yeah. I remember I remember as a little boy, my mother would always hide the baby Jesus. And, you know, I was quite inquisitive and nosy. <laughs> so I'd look all over, and there was not a year I found him. Not a year. I have no idea to this day where he wound up. Because <laughs> they looked everywhere. When she, of course, she wasn't around. Right. <laughs> and then to give, you know, at Christmas Eve... Before we sat down, she would hand over, right? And we'd have to put the Lord Jesus. Mm. So he arrived. I mean, it sounds, uh, it may sound simplistic, but to the eyes of a little child or to a young child or even to a teenager, the truth be told. Um, it's, a, it's a beautiful tradition. And when I was older, it connect, connected me to when I was younger. Right. Yeah, and you're still talking about it today. Oh yeah. As well as your role in the preparation of the food. I mean, so yeah. I mean, it's yeah. It was no different than decorating the Christmas tree. Remember, Immaculate Conception. There was no mention. Right. After the Immaculate Conception, was nonstop nagging <laughs> until we got the tree up. Nonstop, and sometimes it lasted till like the following weekend. And again, it was a family event. We all did it. Yeah. And my father was there. Most of the time my father was there and quickly fell asleep sitting on the sofa. So that, that was his participation in the whole thing. When he woke up, the tree was, it was like a miracle. Yeah. Did your and family get a, a real tree or did you have no. a... Okay. Oh, gosh, no. Never. 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 It was... It was an artificial tree. And one of them, you had to actually put the branches one by one in. I'll never forget that. And, and that was an ordeal. Then we got those uh, trees that were like two pieces. Mm-hmm. The, and then you had to open it up and all the mm-hmm. branches. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, my father was very concerned about fire, concerned about safety. Yeah. Uh, once we had one real tree. And it was... The Christmas that my family spent at the house we used to have in the Pocono Mountains in Pennsylvania. So the, 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 the artificial tree was in Brooklyn. We went up because I was, on, um, I was uh, uh, doing my doctorate. So I was a priest. Okay. And I was released from diocesan assignment to complete my doctorate. 
So I was in Rome, I came back for Christmas, and that one year I decided, you know what, it's now or never, do you wanna spend it up in, in Pennsylvania? So I served mass in the local parish there, not in my diocese, and we had it there, and we had a real tree by the fireplace, a real fireplace that actually, we had like a fire going almost 23rd, 24th, 25th, and 26th. Wow. And I was so proud of myself, I learned how to do it, actually. Well, what would I know how to make a... But they, the, the neighbors around actually taught me, which was great. So that was kind of like the Americana Christmas we had. The only one we had. It was beautiful. Yeah. It was beautiful. Yeah. Do you have a real tree? We, um, we kind of... We have an artificial tree in the attic, and then we alternate. Um, last year and this year, we put up the artificial. Um, other years, we've gone to either just select a real tree or to chop one down. Um, so the, do you actually go to take it down? Yeah, we've done that, yep. Um, you know, the real tree smells nice, but you get pine needles everywhere. everywhere. Right, um, right. So. Right. And then you gotta water it, I think. Yes. We, they were watered every day. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, then if and then if you're not home, and then what happens? And then no, I I mean that much. I'm a worrier, like my mom. I I I'm just worried that it would you know something can happen with that. And maybe I'm, it's not enough trust in the Lord's love and providence, but I'd rather be safe than sorry. Yeah. And the trees now, the artificial trees, honest to God, look real. Yeah. Yep. Right? You know, uh, one of the things you said at uh, Thanksgiving that actually um, we got some folks who wrote in and said they did the same thing, was that your family would watch Babes in Toyland every Thanksgiving. Oh, yes, of course, yes. What mm -hmm. kind of things, was there a movie or other things that you did? Oh, yes, okay. oh, yes. Oh, every, every, every holiday, every religious holiday had a, had a movie, without a doubt, right? And this was A Christmas Carol, I think it's 1954, the edition that is black and white that I think they've colorized in mm. recent times. Uh, Alistair Cook, Alistair, I think it's Alistair Cook. Okay. Is the, uh, uh, is, anyway, um, I loved, every year we watched that. And the Charlie Brown episode, every year. Yeah. Right, now it's on Apple TV Plus, I think. Right, and there are the two. I'm not sure what you call those. Um, the puppet shows. They're not puppets, but um, Rudolph the Red Rudolph yes. the Red Nose Reindeer. Yeah. And a year without a Santa Claus. Yeah. I forget what I forget what they call that. It's not animation. It's, well, it's like a, a, form of like animation. claymation or something. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, when I was a kid, I used to look forward to those shows. Oh my! Yeah. And in those days, there were seven stations. I mean. Three were commercial. You only had one out of three. I mean, it was hard to figure out what to watch. <laughs> yeah. The, now you got 2,000, two, there's 2,254 stations. <laughs> so, something for everybody, literally. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, uh, yeah, I remember the Charlie Brown and the Rudolph every year as well. Um, we started watching in our in our house with our kids. It's a Wonderful Life. Ah, oh. mm -hmm. so that's, I've never seen that movie in its full in its from from end to end. I think I've seen like ninety percent of it. Oh, it's so good, Excellency. Yeah, 
Um, it, for a lot of reasons, right? Yes. That, you know, it was not one of my mother's, you know, my parents, because, you know, it, you know, it, it's an English film. So, yeah. I mean, growing up, it would not have been their first go-to. Yeah. Uh, the, the other thing you mentioned about films, um, for, for the Holy Week, we always watch the Ten Commandments hmm. around Holy Thursday. I was not ever sure what the connection was, but nobody asked. That's what we did. <laughs> and um, Jesus of Nazareth. Mm-hmm right, was always around Easter. In fact, many a time it was on Easter night we would watch it when all was said and done. The dishes were put away and stuff. Yeah. And that's a beautiful film. Yeah. I actually showed my kids Ben-Hur, which is like eight days long, but they actually really liked it. Mm -hmm. Now, is it historically accurate, Ben-Hur? I, uh, I don't know. But it's a good movie. The Charlton Heston uh, version yeah. is the one we watch. And I, I don't oh, know Charlton Heston is great. He's a great actor. Great you actor. know, there, there's a recent movie that came out like 15 years ago called The Nativity Story, which was uh, pretty good. It was done really well. But um, Oh, yes, 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 I saw it. Yes, it was. Yes, it was very well done. Yeah, and it was in commercial, commercial theaters. Yeah, yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and you mentioned... Uh, when you were in Rome, you came home for Christmas. Did you ever spend, I, don't, I forget how long you were there, but did you spend any Christmases out there or? I was in Rome for five years. Okay. Two years for my license, three years for my doctorate. I traveled back in those five years, 24 times. TWA loved me. <laughs> loved me. And why I came back was because, with all due respect, all right, with the priest I lived with there and the city, magnificent, beautiful. When it comes to the holy days, you know, so we speak about Christmas, we speak about Holy Week. Uh, I could not imagine not spending it with my family and in the parishes where I was raised and grew up and served. I mean, as beautiful as Rome is, I am very much a simple guy and it was always back to the roots. So I would always come back. I spent one Easter, one holy, uh, the one Easter Triduum in Rome the first year, and then I went back to visit my parents Easter Monday. Okay. So I saw it, I did it once, and that was it. Yeah. Yeah, that was it. Yeah, I remember for the Thanksgiving episode, you said you, you spent Thanksgivings out there, but for Christmas and the others, you would yes. come here. Right. Um, so then, uh, let's see. So this Christmas, you mm-hmm. you are, as many listeners know, you're an uncle, you're a great uncle. Um, what's this Christmas going to look like? You know, it's, it's a great question. I mean, in some respects, um, the my nuclear family, so if it's my sister, niece, her family, and my nephew, and his fiance, um, we're only eight in total. Mm-hmm. So we're not a big group. And all my aunts and uncles, except one, have gone to the Lord. And my cousins are scattered, I have no idea, all over the place. So what I grew up with is long dismantled, right? which is a loss. Right? To have everybody, I mean, Christmas morning, to walk to your aunt and uncle's house, and then go visit another aunt and uncle, and see your cousins 
every Christmas morning huh. after you came out of mass. Itself, the ritual was beautiful. And if I didn't make it to all my aunts, they would make it. In other words, because you would have spent all day visiting. I mean, I had so many of them. So it, it, we kind of, I don't know how that worked to be and how they figured out who was going where, but we kind of did that. And then you'd have some sweets there, some sweets there, something else there. So when you sat down for dinner, you were already full, but then you still ate. <laughs> <laughs> but that, but that is, has such fond memories. And that's why even to this day, um, if I celebrate midnight mass in the parish, let's say a parish here, which I probably will, um, uh, I would probably, if I don't have morning mass, then I would go back to, to visit my family early Christmas day. If I had a morning mass, then I would leave right after that and then join the festivities. They will not eat without me. Huh. They won't have dinner with that. They would not. So even if I arrive in Brooklyn at five, that's when they would start. It's one of the cool things, uh, I guess I've always lived in the suburbs, so I couldn't just walk, uh, you know, outside of my own neighborhood, but that's kind of cool to think about you in Brooklyn and just kind of walking to see your relatives. My uncle Victor, God, who's my godfather, right, he would, I would see him on the street. I could, I, you, if you walked Avenue U, which was the little commercial strip, you, it was inevitable you would meet somebody I was related to because that, that was the place you went to. So many times I, I meet my Uncle Victor and no matter where it was, anywhere on the street. So it's like 12 city blocks, the whole length of it. We would always go to the bakery huh. and my uncle would say, what do you want? And it was always like a jelly donut. And then inevitably, no matter what time of the day, and he would go. And of course the ritual for us was aunts and uncles, anywhere you were, you always kissed your aunts and uncles, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, hello, always. Oh, even when I was older, always. That's also kind of lost in the modern world. Yeah. Because they were in many ways, um, your surrogate parents. So yeah. if you didn't do that, you were disrespecting not only then, you were disrespecting your parents. So Christmas, I was being ki I was kissing left and right. There were people <laughs> all over being kissed. <laughs> uh, you know, before we go to the break, and uh, you know, somebody might email me and say, that's not the point of Christmas, but I do want to ask you uh, two things. Do you have a favorite present that you received as a child and also a favorite Christmas carol? Oh, so the famous, the, my, my favorite Christmas carol is What Child Is This? Hmm. Because it says it all, doesn't it? Yeah. It says what Christmas is, what the revelation of faith, and what the question of the world should be before this child. Who are you? Who are you to have done this? Mm -hmm. Who are you to have offered this? So that is my favorite Christmas carol. What was your first question? I forget now. I guess so uh, if you had a, carol. if you had a, 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 a oh, a present. favorite gift. Yeah. You mean to give or to receive? That you received, that received? as a kid. Yep. Oh. Oh, I know what it was. Yep. Uh, it was a toy train, an electrified toy train, and it was the best to get as a kid, as a young, uh, that I ever got. And it actually 
the engine made smoke. Oh, wow. Yeah, there were like these little pellets you put in it. And when it heated up, it made, it was the neatest thing I've ever, and I kept it for years. When my mother put a Christmas tree up, I was old and we would put it up because it was just so much a part of Christmas and it was just such a fascination. So cool. But let me just say one last thing, if I may, before we break. Okay, so at the heart of Christmas, all right, is the gift of salvation in the Son of God made man, right? And how you live Christmas 365 days a year is recognizing that gift is with you all the time, at every moment. So the challenge, spiritual challenge is, why do we allude to it so easily at Christmas and most of the rest of the year, it's a struggle for us to recognize the same closeness of God. And that is what I wanna leave all of us to think about. What are we gonna do January 7th when Epiphany is over and the Holy Days are over? How do you keep Christmas alive in your heart? That's something we should think about. Yeah, yeah, definitely. We've got um, we've got a, que- a listener question uh, for when we come back from the break, Excellency. So okay, we'll get to that on the other side. Why do we need Catholic radio? Because not everybody's sitting in front of a computer or watching their television set at home. How about when driving to work? How about while at work at your desk? Catholic radio is there for you. I may be a Catholic priest, but I'm still a student of the faith. And Catholic radio helps supply good material, whether it be a question and answer format show. Whether it be a show itself on doctrine or theology, I myself, as a priest, am always learning. Okay, and we're back on Let Me Be Frank with Bishop Frank Caggiano. Um, Excellency, we got a, a question in here, and um, it's uh, here it is. Bishop Frank, did you ever experience the holiday blues? This is a real thing that many people suffer from where they feel deep sadness, even depression during the holidays. And what would you say to somebody who is going through that right now? Right. Well, the answer to the question is yes, I certainly did. The first Christmas after my mother's death was, was very difficult. For all the reasons I just described. The very glue of everything we talked about revolved around my parents, especially my mom. So the first Christmas she was not there was just terrible and my mother was dying during christmas time she my mother went to the lord jesus on the 8th of january 2011 and i remember christmas eve my mother sat in a chair which has now become my chair where i'd say my prayers each day when i'm in brooklyn whenever i happen to be in brooklyn and she could not get up So when my mother in prior years was busy around the table serving all the fish and everything else, my mother just sat there quietly. And that image haunted me, not just that Christmas, but the Christmas when the chair was empty. So I understand it. I understand it. And sometimes the blues come on, not even with such an epical event in the life of your family. It's not uncommon because... The holidays are meant to celebrate connection, 
And to the extent that for whatever reason, we don't feel totally connected or we feel very disconnected, it amplifies those feelings. So we could somewhat ignore them in the ordinariness of life, but in the holidays, it becomes very difficult to ignore them. So as people are gathering all around us in so many different ways, you may not feel as connected for whatever reason. So how do you deal with it? Well, you see, it's a very difficult question to answer in the generic because the circumstances are different. But a tool in the arsenal to try to address it is to reach out intentionally to the extent that one is possible to remake connections at the holidays. Because the blues can be so fulfilling too, right? The more blue you feel, the, more, the less likely you are to reach out and it just amplifies the feeling. So you have to intentionally struggle to make connections, make the phone calls, make the visits. Don't fall into what you're being tempted to do. And to the extent that you don't find the energy to do that, then my prayer is someone will do it for you. Someone will be the one to reach out. And that's where we need to be sensitive, right? You know those individuals in your life who may be prone to this. So do we make it our business to make sure we reach out to them and are present to them and, and allow them to be as connected as they are, they feel comfortable being? I think it's, 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 a, it's a great question, particularly now on the cusp of, of Christmas. And I, and I would ask us all to consider that. You know, Jesus came to the manger in a surprise. Who are we going to in a surprise yeah. to bring his life and his hope to them? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so important. If you are listening and have a question for Bishop Frank, send it in to us on social media or you can email questions at veritascatholic.com. Bishop Frank Caggiano is on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and so is Veritas Catholic Network. Excellency, would you please give us your blessing? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, you have brought us to yet the dawning of a new Christmas. We celebrate your love for us in sending your only Son to share our life and to grant us redemption and salvation. And so help us to be grateful for your great generosity and to welcome him into our hearts and into our homes and into our society, into our churches. May the Christ child and his promise of life, reconciliation, and peace be realized in our own age and time. And may the coming days of Christmas be a time of rest and safety and health and peace for us all. We ask this in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. My friend, Merry Christmas to you. Amen. Merry Christmas, Excellency. Thank you so much. And Merry Christmas to everybody listening. Merry Christmas to you all, my friends. We'll see you next week. Thank you.